Thank you all. We appreciate that so much. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, as we see our children going out to Children's Church, I pray, Lord, that something great would happen in their lives. She would plant the seed of the gospel, water it, and even bring in a harvest. And bless those who work so faithfully with our nursery, with our preschool and children's departments and in children's church and in Awana, uh, all of the new children's choir, all the things that are done for our kids, even various activities throughout the year. Thank you for those who love our children, who work with our children, who plant the seeds of the gospel in the lives of our children. And we pray for their salvation and pray that we might be able to reach more kids for Christ. But Lord, I not only pray for that, but I pray for those who are in our student group and pray for them that they would grow and that they would be saved, that they would learn, that they would be witnesses for Christ. And pray for Jenny and Isaac as they work with them and also with our college groups. And I pray, Father, for young couples that as they're starting their life and their marriages and they're starting their families, bless them, Lord, that they might truly be saved and sanctified and have wisdom. And we pray that we might reach more and that your word would be such a help to them, establishing them and upholding them during these difficult times in which we live. And I pray the same, Lord, for middle-aged adults and senior adults, that you would save those who were lost, that you would grow all of us in grace and knowledge, and that you would grow us in numbers as well, and that our church this year might be able to reach more people and help them grow in the Lord than ever before. And I pray, Father, that you would heal and comfort our sick folks and our grieving folks. And I pray, Lord, that for all of us, we would take this year and take it as a challenge to be more like Christ than we were last year. And we confess that we can't do that. We fall short of that. But, oh, Lord, our prayer is that you would do it in us. You would do it through us. Help us to be better witnesses. Help us to be more discerning. And help us, Lord, to have more joy in our lives because of what you have done for us. So thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to look into your word. Give us minds that can comprehend and are renewed. Give us hearts that can receive truth and are willing to obey it. And give us, Father, the um, drive and give us the concern and give us the, as the old timers would say, the unction of the Holy Spirit so that we don't just forget and walk away from it, but we actually are consciously applying it to our lives. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the Lord Jesus who died on the cross, bore your wrath in our place, rose from the dead and is exalted as Lord of all. And thank you that you save all who repent and believe in the gospel. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning and let's turn again to the book of Exodus. And we have seen that... uh, For the people of God here that he delivered out of Egypt have committed a terrible, terrible sin. In fact, it's called in the Bible a great sin. Only four times 
in the Old Testament is it called a great sin, and each time that refers to idolatry, and that's what they've done. Now, this isn't happening uh, over a long period of time where they might have forgotten or strayed. It's only been about five months since they've been released from slavery, and Moses has only been gone 40 days. And while he's gone, they go to Aaron and they say, make us gods that will lead us. And Aaron does that. He says, break off all of your jewelry that you have and bring it to me. And he takes it and molds it into a golden calf. And remember, while Moses is on the mountain, he's there with Joshua. Now, Joshua had to wait somewhere because only Moses is in the presence of God. But he is on the mountain by himself during that whole time. And uh, God is the one that says to Moses, the people, you need to go down there. Your people have done this, and they built a calf, and they've offered sacrifices to it. And so God, the all-knowing God, is the one who calls Moses' attention to it. So Moses, as we saw last week, prays for the people, intercedes for them, and the Lord says, well, I won't destroy them, but Moses goes down to take care of the situation. Now, why would I be preaching this on January 2nd, 2022? Because any time you have a colossal failure, you need a new start. And boy, did these people ever need a new start. They needed to reset things. These are the people that are the people of God who has seen great miracles, a miracle of deliverance, a miracle at Passover, the miracle of the Red Sea. And yet they so quickly stray from the Lord and they need a new beginning. So let's read about it in Exodus 32 and we'll read verses 15 through 24 to get the whole story. So if you're ready for the word of God, would you say amen? And Moses turned and went down from the mountain and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides, on the one side and on the other they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, <clears throat> he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp, but... Moses said, it is not the noise <coughs> excuse me, of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. And so it was, as soon as he came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them, at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire, and then ground it up into powder, and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink from it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? So Aaron said, and you can imagine his nervousness here, do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. Let me just stop there and say, why are they so afraid of him? This is the Moses that killed an Egyptian. Okay? So there was probably a little bit of fear for this powerful man who if he got angry enough, there's no telling what he could do. 
Okay, let's pick up again. You know the people that they are set on evil. True enough. Verse 23. For they said to me, Make us gods that shall go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me. Now look, look at this. So they gave it to me. And I cast it into the fire. And this calf came out. Well, isn't that convenient? I didn't mean for it. It just happened. And so when we look at this. And we start thinking about these things. There are five things that I'd like to share with you this morning that I guarantee you, if you will take these things to heart, put them into practice in your life, your 2022 will be different than 2021. It'll be better because it'll be more godly. You'll overcome some things in your life. You'll be a changed person because we too are colossal failures. None of us lived up to the law of God in 2021, did we? None of us lived up to the light that we know in 2021. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we confess that and he forgives us because of what Christ did on the cross for us. But at the same time, it's the will of God that we press on, that we are sanctified, that we grow, that we become set apart, that we become holy for the Lord. And that's what he was doing for these people as well. And that's why this story is recorded for us in the word of God. So if I were to take this and say, what is it that these people needed? And I'm including everybody in this. I'm including the ones who built the golden calf, the ones who worshiped the golden calf. I'm including Moses in this. I'm including Joshua. I'm including Aaron in this. They all contribute something in this story that we need. And they all are kind of a picture of the way we are as a church. There are some of you that are more like Moses than others. There are some of you that are more like Aaron than others, and so forth and so on. And so let's look at these from the standpoint of all of these people as to how God brings a new start in the lives of his people. Now, the first thing would be this, a respect for the word of God, a respect for the word of God. In a day where people are denying the word, tearing down the word, ignoring the word, twisting the word, mistranslating the word, at a day where people just deny that the word of God is even true, it's time for those of us who claim his name to uphold the word of God. We uh, think a lot of things that uh, happen, and if we can find a scientific reason for it, then we go, oh, that proves that the Bible is true. The Bible doesn't need the proof of science. The Bible doesn't need the proof of humans or anything else it is true it tells us it's true it will always be true and we need to embrace it as true as it is truth that comes from God and notice when you start reading in verse 15 the Bible tells us here that uh, Moses had these two tablets we've seen pictures of those kind of things written on on both sides most of the time it's written on one side in the pictures, but the Bible says both sides, on the one and on the other. And it says, I mean, it belabors this point. These tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, 
engraved on the tablets. Why does Moses belabor this point when he's writing this down? Why is it that the Holy Spirit inspired Moses to belabor this point? Well, I think it's because we have this tendency to take a Bible that we hold in our hand that is written by God, that is inspired by God, and to say, well, is this true or is this just what the Bible says? You know, some people think, and I've heard people reference this, that there is the Bible and there is history. Folks, let me back up. The Bible is history. And it's written in truth from God's perspective. This is the Word of God that you hold in your hands, the Word of God that we proclaim. It doesn't contain error. It will not lead you into error. It does not uh, contain falsehood or mythology. It does not contain anything that just accommodated the superstition of the people. This is the inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient, eternal Word of God. And whenever anything contradicts the Word of God... Don't get shaky. Don't get wobbly. Don't start going, oh, oh, what are we going to do? Science contradicts this. Feel sorry for them because they are the ones standing on shaky ground. You stand on firm ground. You stand on the Word of God. We need to take the Word of God and we need to remember it and think about it and apply it in our lives, which is exactly what these people didn't do. Now, even though Moses is walking down the mountains with the tablets of stone and uh, they have the words engraved upon them from God, Moses had already been down from the mountain before to tell the people what God had said. They had it orally and they all affirmed that they understood it and that they were going to follow it. In fact, back in Exodus 19, verses 7 and 8, it says, So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And that's just like us sometimes at church. It's easy to sing, I surrender all while we hold back. It's easy for us to say, we're going to take up our cross and follow Jesus, and he is our all in all and everything that we sing and not really mean that. And that's the same way these people are. People don't change. And our nature is just like theirs, and theirs is just like ours. And so that's why we can take these things and learn from them. So Moses has now received what he had given them orally. Now he has it in written form, carrying it down the mountain to the people. And that's just a reminder. God wants his words. He wants them to be known. That's why he gives them. He wants them to be remembered. That's why he repeats things in the Bible so often. He wants them to be obeyed. It's a sin not to obey the word. But also, keep in mind, he wants it to be written down. If all we had was the word of God that was in my mind, then as my mind goes, so goes your comprehension of the word of God. As we get older, we don't always remember things as clearly and sharply as we used to. I suspect that's why we have little kids learning and memorizing the scripture, while we older folks typically don't. It's a little harder for us to memorize them. That's why we want to put it in the hearts of our children while they are young. But it also is that as we get older, we tend to forget certain things. I have, as I've gotten older, 
had memories, vivid, vivid memories. I remember one when Owasso was going into the playoffs, the first round of the playoffs, and we had to play our arch rival, the Jinx Trojans. They had beaten us in the regular season, but both teams made it into the playoffs, and they were the first round of the playoffs we had to uh, engage in. And I remember so well, we got to the end of the game and we were behind. The clock is winding down. And I remember when it went to those triple zeros. And there was a roar that came up from the jinx side. And silence from the Owasso side. But they forgot that the play was not yet dead. And Stacy Lamb, our quarterback, sees Frosty Turpin, a wide receiver, in the end zone going like this. And Stacy launches that ball into Frosty's arms. He catches it. Touchdown, Owasso. We won the game. And it got quiet on the jinx side. And then a roar goes up from the Owasso Rams, right? And in my mind, we were at Ator Field in Owasso, Oklahoma for that. Vivid. You know what I found out reading about that the other day that somebody had posted? That game was in jinx. Now, I had the facts right in everything except the location. Oh, well, that's just a minor thing. True, it doesn't change the outcome of the game or what happened. But it just proved the frailty of the mind. This is why we don't go by dreams. This is why we don't go by visions. And this is why we reject anyone that would distort the word of God or take us out of the word of God. This is why God wrote it down. If you had to depend upon my memory of the book of Exodus to get up here and quote it, I mean, I'm no David Miller, right? And when you think about how iffy that could make everything, I could misremember unintentionally, but misremember something and convey something that isn't true to you. But God is so good. From the very beginning, he made this clear that he wanted his word written down. So you don't have to go by what God told me that I might be lying about or I might be mistaken about. You can look to the word of God and God speaks through his word. This is the final word of God. And so he wants all of those things to take place. And there has to be a respect for the written word of God. My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Now, how do I know that? Verse 2. My hope is leaning on the word, the written word of God. Salvation through his righteousness, salvation through his blood. Uh, the word of God is what tells us what the gospel is, what God reveals, what sin is, what grace is. Everything that we need to know is found in the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us this. And so if we're going to have a new start, there has to be a new respect for the word of God. And we might look at that and say, yeah, Moses shouldn't have broken those tablets. That's a minor issue. Those can always be replaced. The main issue was the people of Israel completely forgot their commitment to God and disrespected what God said in the commandments that they had been given. 
and they blatantly broke not the tenth, not the ninth, the first commandment to worship something other than the Lord their God. And then they broke another commandment by making a graven image. You see why it's important to have the Word of God and to respect what the Word of God has to say. Number two, if we're going to have a new beginning, we need to become discerning. Joshua is up there on the mountain with Moses. Now, he's not in the presence of God. He's somewhere else. And I find it interesting that the people got impatient, and they're saying, we don't know what has become of this Moses. Make us a God, Aaron, right? What if Joshua had said that? He's alone. He's up there just patiently waiting for 40 days, and yet Joshua remains faithful. But as they're coming down the mountain, we see something about Joshua that gives us some insight. He says, hey, I hear noise. That sounds like the noise of war. He completely missed the whole situation. Joshua needed better discernment. What his ears told him and what his gut told him was completely wrong. Now Moses... The old man, he got it. He knew what was happening. God had told him. The word of God informed him what was happening. This is not the noise of victory. This is not the noise of defeat. But I hear singing. Now you say, well, wasn't Joshua a man of God? He certainly was. Wasn't he the one that was to take over for Moses? He certainly was. But not for 40 years. Joshua still has a lot to learn, a lot to learn from life, a lot to learn from the lives of other people, a lot to learn from Moses. He's got a long way to go. In fact, he's not going to take over for 40 years. And he has to become more discerning. Discerning is something that only takes place through maturity. Discernment is not just feeling or intuition. It is also knowledge and maturity, knowledge and maturity. And Joshua still had a lot to learn and he had a lot of growing to do before he could ever be the kind of person that could take over. And taking over for Moses is a very, very formidable job. You can imagine Moses. I mean, what did he do? Well, he only uh, confronted Pharaoh. He only led the people out of the um, out of Egypt. He only divided the Red Sea. He only did... Yeah, think of all the things that he did. And I got to follow that. He wrote five books of the Bible for crying out loud. And Joshua's thinking, and I've got to follow that. How will the people ever think of Joshua like they did Moses? They don't transfer loyalty all that easily. How is that going to happen? And Joshua's got a lot to go through. And you can read the first chapter of Joshua and see how God did some of that. But he's got a long way to go, and he's got to become a more discerning, an accurately discerning person. Well, you and I could use that too. There's all kinds of lies floating around out there, all kinds of false doctrine floating around there, out there, all kinds of false teachers floating around out there, all kinds of decisions where the enemy is pressing you and pushing you go this way go this way do this it's urgent you've got to do it and you've got to do it now and we're ruled as one man said by the tyranny of the urgent we've got to become more discerning in everything that we do if we want a fresh start 
This is as much for Joshua as it is anyone else. Thirdly, if we're going to get a fresh start, we've got to learn to control our emotions. Now, at first glance, I look at this and I go, wow, Moses lost it, didn't he? Maybe, maybe not. But the people sure did. Their emotions, looking at Moses being gone 40 days, caused them to go to Aaron and say, hey, we've got to have something we can see, something we can follow, something that can lead us. What about Moses? We have no idea what's happened to him or if he'll ever be down. I mean, I guess his cell phone was off, right? So what did they say? Build us this golden calf and we'll follow it. They were emotionally out of control in everything that they did. Now, Moses, when I look at this, I'm going to tell you, I don't think that he was out of control. I think he knew exactly what he was doing. And I think the casting down to the tablets was not just a fit of anger. He was angry. It does say that. But I think it was righteous anger. He should have been angry at the people. He should have been angry at their idolatry, right? Sometimes I hear some of the liberal press talk about somebody who maybe they murdered or did something like that. And they said, and they showed no remorse. Well, I don't care if they showed remorse or not. If they're guilty, they're guilty and ought to get the punishment that goes with it. Then sometimes they'll have a person and they said, the man expressed remorse for what he has done. And you know what my response to that is? He should be remorseful. And he should pay the fine. The people here are in a mess. They've sinned against God. This has got to be one of the most disappointing, heartbreaking times of Moses' life. And I think what Moses was saying when he broke the tablets is, you don't deserve the word of God. And he gave them a graphic image of what they had done because they had broken the word of God completely. And he gave them that symbol by breaking the tablets. They would never forget that. They would never miss that. They could never, never, ever say we didn't understand what was going on. He was giving them a graphic, a very graphic illustration of what happened. Maybe not, but I think that's the way. It doesn't tell us and it doesn't say that it was sinful. It doesn't rebuke Moses for doing that or anything. Um, but I'll leave that up to you to think about it. That's my opinion about it. But I want to ask you to think, so many times we get angry at so many different things, and we like to hide under, well, I think it was righteous indignation. Let me give you, give you some things to think about. If uh, it's unrighteous emotion, unrighteous anger, then it's going to be irrational. It's going to be something that in your mind it makes sense, but not to anybody else, and certainly not to the Lord. It's going to be something that's out of control. Well, I wish I hadn't done that, or I wish I hadn't said that, or I wish I hadn't been involved in this, but at the time, I just couldn't control it. That's not of God. That's not of God. And it's also something that vents. I just couldn't keep it inside any longer. I had to let it out, people say. I just had to vent. i got a verse for you. Proverbs 29, 11. A fool vents all his feelings. 
I just couldn't help it. I just had to get it out. I had to get it off my chest. F-O-O-L. That's what the Bible calls you. Right? A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. We might call that filtering. Not everything needs to be said just because it's thought or even just because it's true. Sometimes it needs to be filtered, held back. The writer of Hebrews said, I could not speak to you in meat, but I had to give you milk. Why? Because he understood the people. He couldn't give them everything. Paul said, I could not speak to you as mature people, but as babes. Why do you speak to babes different? Because they are different. And he couldn't say everything he thought and everything he felt. He had to tailor it to uh, the situation. Now, what is righteous anger and righteous emotion? Think about it like this. It concerns God's honor first and foremost. Jesus throwing out the money changers in the temple. That wasn't about money changers. And it wasn't about them cheating the people, even though they were. It was about God's honor, God's house being a house of prayer. It's also rational. There's a reason for it. You can look and you can see and you can name. I don't know what happened to me. I don't know what overcame me. That's not rational. But when it's rational, you can point, pinpoint it and say why it is that you're feeling the way that you're feeling. And then lastly, it's under control. You know, the Bible stresses this. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23 give us the nine characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. And the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Paul dealt with this in Corinth when they had so many people abusing spiritual gifts, especially tongues, ecstatic language. And they evidently were saying, oh, we just couldn't help it. It just overcame us. And Paul said this, the Spirit of the prophet is subject unto the prophet. You know what he was saying? If it's of God, you can control it. It doesn't just take over and cause you to be um, out of control because the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So think about all of those times when maybe in your discipline of your children, you're just venting. You're not really correcting the child. You're just venting. You're doing it for you. That was an irrational and that is an ungodly expression of your anger. But if your child is involved in sin, you should have some angry feelings about that, but they ought to be under control. And you ought not do it or discipline them because you feel the need that you've got to vent and you've got to take care and that little brat's going to learn something. You do it for the glory of God and you do it for their correction. You do it for their well-being to make them what they ought to be. It's not about you. It's about God's glory, and it's about their life, and it is under control. You see the difference? Think about the way we get sometimes in traffic, righteous or unrighteous. Think about the way we get when we're arguing with somebody that we are passionately assured that we are right about it. And the other person disagrees with us, and we just lose control, we call it. It's called losing our temper. Temper is what keeps you together under the heat. Remember Reynolds Wrap? Those of you who are older, oven-tempered for flexible strength. What is it? It was able to withstand the heat 
able to withstand the pressure. That's why we say we lose our temper. I lost my ability to stand up under the pressure of the moment, right? That's not godly. That's not righteous indignation. That is ungodly, unrighteous indignation. So if we're going to be what God wants us to be, we have got to be able to control our emotions, whatever they might be. We also have to accept responsibility for sin. Well, the Bible says that when he took this golden cap, he melted it down and then ground it into powder and then poured it over the water and he made the people drink it. And uh, that sounds pretty terrible, doesn't it? But I want to zero in on verse 21. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought a great sin upon them? What in the world happened? What did they threaten you with? I was uh, reading what Ligon Dutkin said about this. And uh, here's what he said. Moses begins in verse 21 by giving Aaron the benefit of the doubt. What must they have done to you to get you to do this? I mean, did they torture you? Did they hold a knife to your throat? Did they threaten to kill your sons and daughters before your wife? What did they do to you, Aaron, that you would lead them into this kind of sin? Moses is saying, surely, Aaron, surely they forced you to do this somehow. Surely you didn't voluntarily go along with this. Surely you didn't help them along the way in sin. Now notice when Aaron gives his answer, he said, well, you know these people, they're always bent toward evil. Well, that was true. But Moses, uh, pardon me, Aaron wasn't making a theological statement. He was making a statement to justify himself. Well, I know I'm not perfect, but neither are they, and they're worse than I am, and you know how that is, Moses. In other words, his whole thing, his whole answer here is blame-shifting. Well, it wasn't my fault. I mean, it kind of was, but not much my fault. Does it remind you of anything? Genesis chapter 3. The Lord says, Adam, did you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, the woman that you made, she gave to me and I ate. What was he doing? Well, yeah, I ate it, but he's blame-shifting. It really wasn't my fault. And what does Eve say? It was a serpent. He beguiled me and I ate. And they didn't want to take responsibility. And there's something about us as humans, we don't really like to take full responsibility. There's always somebody else involved and somebody more involved than we are. And that's exactly what Aaron did. Folks, he was saying, don't be angry at me. These people are set on evil and you know how that is. And they pressured me. And he really didn't take full responsibility. If you're going to be better in this next year than you were last year, you've got to start owning up to who you are, what you do, confessing or agreeing with God about your sins, and quit blaming everybody else. Isn't there something with the child who is delinquent 
that they may have murdered 16 people, but it's all because they fell into a bad crowd. Don't we kind of look at that and go, uh, yeah, no, that's not it. It's the same way when we try to find a reason or excuse or some justification for our disobedience. And then notice, be honest. Aaron says, that's the last point, be honest. And I said to him, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. And so they gave it to me and I cast it in the fire and this calf came out. So he lies. A flat out lie, wasn't it? You say, well, it was only half a lie. Um, well, my mama always told me a half lie, a half truth is a whole lie. Isn't that the way it is? He was misleading here. I just threw it in and it came out. Yeah, I took their gold, but I threw it in there. In other words, he's saying, this is a supernatural thing that I couldn't control. I didn't do anything. I didn't know a calf was going to come out of that. It's kind of like saying I couldn't help it, which contradicts the Bible. And uh, it was out of my control, which contradicts the Bible. Maybe he was kind of insinuating the devil made me do it. And I've heard people say that and try to blame what they do on demons. Demons were just coming after me and they were just so hard. Do I believe in demons? You bet I do. Do I believe in warfare? You bet I do. But do I also believe that we are victorious in Christ? Yes, I do. And we can't blame our sin or our failures on anyone or anything else. And we better not get to where we lie about them just simply because we don't want to face the truth. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation, that would include Aaron's, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. You're not unique. Your situation is not unique, right? But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it or endure it, some translations say. Aaron forgot that. Aaron's trying to say, this was something that I couldn't help. It was absolutely, totally, and completely out of my control, Moses. And until we get honest with ourselves, we're never going to be any better. How honestly do you follow Christ? Honestly. Honestly. How involved are you in the witness of Christ? Do you share your faith? I mean, be honest. Tell me about your prayer life. Honestly, are you a prayer warrior? Tell me about your commitment to the local church. Are you honestly a good church member, contributing, being faithful to attend, all of those things that you know you ought to do? Honestly, are you a parent who is filled with the Spirit of God? Are you just going along with the latest thing on Instagram? Honestly, husbands, are you loving your wife the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for her? Honestly, what? wives, do you respect your husband and are you submissive to him as Christ is to the Father? That's a command in Scripture, isn't it? I mean, honestly, we've got to look at these things. Not playing word games, not fudging on things, not doing the, well, that depends on what the meaning of is is. Wasn't that disgusting in the Clinton years? 
And yet we play that game so many times instead of standing before God and saying, guilty as charged. And my only hope is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who paid for that sin. And be honest about who we are, where we are, where we are heading, what we have done. And until we get these things into our hearts, we're not going to make the progress that we want to make. And we can fool ourselves, but we're not fooling God. And we're not fooling anybody else. May the Lord, through His grace, help us to learn to be respecters of the Word of God. Because that's really where it starts or where it ends. May He help us to be better discerners of everything. To grow in discernment through the intake of the Word of God. May God help us that we might be able to take full responsibility for what we do. And may He help us to be honest about who we are and what we are and everything that we have been through. Even to the point that if our honesty might benefit someone else but hurt us, we're going to be honest, honest to a fault because we want to indeed honor the Lord Jesus Christ in everything that we do. So I would like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to take a moment to pray about these things that we have mentioned. And I want you to evaluate your last year and take away all of the excuses and take away all of the, oh, the rationalization of why you couldn't do and be everything that God wanted you to do or be. I left out one when I recited those, the control your emotions thing too. We need to become mature, responsible, effective followers of Christ. Father, as we close this, I pray that those who have never repented of their sins and trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, I pray that they would today. But I also want to pray as much or even more for those who claim the name of Christ and yet are content with mediocrity. Those who claim to love the Lord but are not intense on what they, in what they do. It's all casual, haphazard, if it fits in, if nothing else is pulling me away. I pray for us that you might forgive us and that you might give us a brand new start. And we pray this because you're a gracious, loving, forgiving, merciful God who restores what the locusts have eaten and brings beauty out of ashes. Please, Lord, do that for us in 2022. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. For the